You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 72 for Monday the 17th of July 2017. My guest on today's podcast is Alison Ingleby, a freelance writer who provides blogging and copywriting services to businesses all over the world who are connected to travel or the great outdoors. Alison is planning to use this freelance business to bootstrap her self-publishing efforts, She's just written her first book, which will form part of a dystopian trilogy. I asked Alison to join me on the podcast because I'm really keen to capture the experiences and progress of a brand new indie author who's following best practice techniques. When I chatted to Alison for the podcast, I asked her what had made her quit her day job to take a chance on freelancing and writing. I think there were a couple of factors. Um, one of the, there were sort of push and pull factors. So I guess the main push factor was that I was in a job which I wasn't particularly happy in. So I currently live in Yorkshire. I moved up from London a couple of years ago to, to be with my partner up here and, and took a job because I needed a job to get up here. Um, and on paper, it looked good. But as with a lot of things, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, and it was kind of sucking a lot of my, my creative energy from that. So actually, I didn't really do any writing at all for about the first year, year and a half off of that a bit of a bit of a hiatus so I guess that was a push factor and the, the pull factor really I guess I could have just gone and got a different job but um, I'm one of these people who's quite conscientious about work and I always put 100% into everything um, so I thought well if I'm going to put 100% into some work why don't I do something for myself and actually you know give this writing lark a go um, and then I was looking at what well what could I do if, if I quit my job and go self-employed and what can I do to kind of support my hopefully my author business as I can kind of get that up and running um, whilst also paying some of the bills and, and keeping things going um, and I've always enjoyed writing looked into a bit more thought okay well there are people out there earning a living from this so why not give it a go um, so I started that up before I before I left my job sort of did it for a few months to see how it was going to work out and then um, took the leap and handed my notice in. Now, what's unique for you as one of my interviewees is that normally I have a whole rack of um, web panels here with people's books on on their website <laughs> and their social media. But for you, the cupboard is bare. But it must have felt a bit like that when you took that leap into self-employment. You know, it's a leap into the unknown, isn't it? Definitely. Um, and I have probably leaped into the deep end of the swimming pool without armbands so it's a bit sink or swim um but i'm pretty determined so uh, hopefully i'll be able to swim through that um i mean i think certainly with I, I don't think i could have quit my job purely for the author side of the business i don't think i could have justified that to myself let alone you know my my partner and my family and and friends um so i think the fact that i proved myself a bit or proved I could earn money through the freelance writing side um, was helpful in terms of then then taking that leap. But yeah, I certainly had um, a 
a few funny looks from ex-colleagues as well as as well as friends when I told them. <laughs> it is a huge leap of faith leaving a salary, and most people, like you know, I'm the same. Most people, when they do that, they've got a few funds tucked away, maybe from the salary, and then you watch it just depleting. And, and often your income doesn't come in at the same rate as it's going out. It could be a little bit scary. I used to have a lot of panic attacks when I did it at first. And then hopefully if things go okay, you get, you get to trust it. You get to trust that the work will come in. You get to trust that you'll be able to pay the bills. Where are you on that scale at the moment? Okay, so um, so obviously I, I had some savings. I'd saved up. I kind of made the decision. I mean, to be honest, I'd, I'd pretty much made the decision as soon as I started this job that I was going to be leaving at some point. So I'd, I'd been saving up. So I had, I reckoned I had sort of a good six months of savings. Um, I also took some steps to cut down my living costs. So um, we bought a house just before Christmas. So before I handed my notice in, in fact, handing my notice in was the first thing I did after we after we moved into the house. Um, so we, we kind of worked out what our finances were and what we could afford and what I needed to earn to help contribute towards that. Um, and then I worked out a sort of projection of income for what I was likely to get, bearing in mind that I knew I wouldn't get that much starting off with a freelance because I'd have to start to, to build up that business. Um, but my aim was really to put off going into my savings as much as possible, um, which so far I pretty much have managed to do. I haven't really had to dip into the savings other than the savings I'd set aside for my editing costs um, and my sort of author-related work, which I which was, was a separate savings pot, which I'd set up beforehand. Um, so touch wood, so far it's going okay. Now, I'm not making as much as I yet as I was bringing in with my previous salary um, and it does fluctuate from month to month and I think that's one of the challenges of the of the freelance life is is work and money comes in at different times um, so that's one thing I'm getting used to definitely um, but so far it's working out all right and I'm a lot happier for it. Yes well that's good to hear because the um, I, I did it for six years and I'm, I'm back part-time at the moment and I think one of the things uh, that I loved and still love actually because I've just like done three week, three days and I got four days off now and uh, the freedom is just remarkable the, the uh, because I think I probably work more hours than I ever did but I work it in a completely different way so I might be up writing at six o'clock in the morning but then tomorrow I'm off to see Wonder Woman at the cinema and uh, yeah, you just make definitely. it go along don't you? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I love that freedom and, and, you know, the novelty of that definitely hasn't worn off yet. So um, there are, as as you say, I think I'm, I'm probably working more hours now than, than I did at the day job. Um, but I've got more energy and, and as I said, I'm a lot happier because of it. So I think it was definitely the right decision and it was the right time. We haven't got, you know, I haven't got children, haven't got any dependents. It was kind of, if, if I'm going to try this, now is a good time to try it. Worst case scenario, I have to get a job again at some point. But, you know, if I have to tackle that bridge, I'll do that when I get to it. Yeah, and that is always the worst case scenario, isn't it? Is that you can last as long as you need to. Uh, and then, you know, it can't be that bad, can it? We just go and get a job. But, you know, when I when I went back to um, salaried employment, I've had to do it because I got sort of kids leaving for university and things. And I just need to even out those peaks and troughs for a little bit just while the kids are moving on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I actually, can you believe this, that when I got my first salary in six years, I felt a bit ashamed. <laughs> which is ridiculous isn't it i felt ashamed yes. because yeah. i've got a salary how, how ridiculous is that it felt like selling out <laughs> yeah, it, did. it did i felt like i'd failed when i went back to get a salary but it does become a te- you know it becomes an awful thing when you've been self-employed to, to go back to work yet when you leave work it's ridiculous aren't we ridiculous as human beings you leave work you're terrified because you've left the salary um uh, alone yeah definitely i mean i think 
definitely at this point, if I had to go back and get a job, I'd, I'd sort of see that as a failure. Mm. Um, but we'll see. I mean, people's circumstances change, as you say, you know, it, it depends on your what your your outgoings are what your costs and stuff are and, and what your circumstances are um but i don't know hopefully my dream is obviously long term you know i can build up the author business so that sort of goes full time but that's that's a long way off i know that so this life and balance that i've got now gives me the flexibility to work on both aspects of my business which is what i didn't have before um particularly because when i was in my sort of full time job I didn't have the energy. I didn't have any creative energy at the end of the day. Um, I tried getting up early um, and, and that works a bit, but there's only so much I could get done before work. Unfortunately, I'm not one of these people who can get up at 5am every day and do three hours before work. I wish I was, but I, I just can't do it. The reason I was so keen to talk to you is we, we met at the uh, Amazon event in Manchester mm-hmm. and we're having a yak in a, in a pub afterwards. And uh, you're doing uh, bootstrapping, you're bootstrapping a business, which is actually, I think, a very sensible way to do it because it's fairly crazy. You're not going to make money straight away as an author. And also books are very slow to write. They take time to write, unfortunately. You don't just knock them out. Um, so you have to expect your income to drop and that you're going to have to build that up. And I think you're doing it the sensible way and the most realistic way, which is to say, right, you know, here's the bit that brings the money in and then I need my creative endeavours to create the books and what I hope is that the two will intersect at some point and that the, the money from the books will be more than the money from the job and will gradually phase it out um, and that and that's bootstrapping that's how people create softwares and things like that so um, you very proactively went for that I take it as a strategy and do you have a kind of time scale for when you want to be winding down the sort of the day job element of what you do and, and hopefully surviving as an author um I did choose that as a strategy and I think the other the other sort of aspect of it is that I was prepared to make sacrifices for that from on a financial perspective um so you know trying to live within my means you know not going on expensive holidays not buying the latest phone or an expensive iPhone contract um you know we don't even have a TV license you know so so, so sort of simple things mm. um but I was seeing that as being sacrificed certainly over the next few years. Now, I don't expect to be transitioning in the next two years, say, to a full-time author income. To be honest, I don't know when that's going to happen. It kind of depends on how many books I can write, how I can get them out there, how well I do the marketing, how the market changes. Um, and I think, to be honest, there's a there's a good element of luck in there as well, you know, if I'm lucky or if I'm not lucky. So as you say, you know, I haven't even got the, the, the finished product yet. So I think it's a bit too soon to be thinking about timescales for going full time. Um, but I'm happy that this gives me some extra time than I would have had otherwise, perhaps to, to work on that and hopefully um, start speeding up the writing process and, and getting those books done. Now, again, I know that you have been listening to John Cronshaw, who is another, yeah. well, he is, he is published, <laughs> but he's just a step ahead of you at the yes. moment. And on this podcast, I'm really keen to talk to people like you and John, because I don't want it just to be about the multimillionaire authors, you know, who spend a zillion dollars a week every, every, every day, you know, on, 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 on ads and things like that. I think it's really important to hear how people, you know, uh, get a little spark and fan the flame. Um, because that's where most of us are. We're, we're just trying to keep the roof over our head and get something creative, uh, going. So, um, you really are, well, you're virtually on day one, but you have got the book written now, haven't you? The first draft, first book written. Yeah. So the first draft done still needs quite a bit of work. It's quite, quite a rough first draft, I think. Um, so I got, uh, a, a 
sort of well, a manuscript critique is the official term, so a kind of sort of developmental edit on that, which was really helpful. So I'm now at the stage of kind of going through um, and reworking it based on, on that feedback and some other feedback I've had um, to create a, a second full draft um, and then go through the process. So once I've got that second draft, I'm hoping to recruit some beta readers. Um, so if anyone's listening who likes YA dystopian fantasy, get in touch. <laughs> um, and then once it's gone through the beta readers and hopefully I've got some feedback on on that, I'll then get it copy edited and, and go through the sort of final stages of proofreading. Um, and in between that, starting to work on book two of the series. So how was that experience for you? And, and how, how many words have you gone for? Is it a sort of a, a reasonable uh, size. Oh of, no, it's uh, epic. Oh, is it? <laughs> well, it's not it? quite epic. I think. I think. Unfortunately, I'm one of these people who tends to write. I've always written long, rambling things. So I've always been the, you know, the person at school who had to cut down their essays to get within the word count. Um, so at the moment, it's about 110,000, mm. which is a bit on the long side. I yeah. Call that two books. Yeah. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish if I could have got it into 75k, that would have been perfect. Um. So I'm going to try and get that down to sort of under 100 probably, um, which I think I can do because I think I can sort of rework some of the plot and cut out some of the, the soggy middle bit of it to, to get that a bit tighter. Can you, can you get it into two books? Because um, you know, could, you, could you create an end in there and, and turn that into two? I don't think so, no. I think it would be hard to get the kind of the depth of the – the story and the character arcs because I've got um, it's a bit of a sort of dual protagonist. So there is one main protagonist, but it's told by two perspectives. So it's kind of two stories which interlink and come together. So that does inevitably add to the length because you've got chapters in one voice and then chapters in another voice. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think I'll definitely be looking at seeing how I can get my plotting a bit tighter and maybe shorten it for, for the next two books. Um I think, as I said, I think I can get this this down a bit. Um, but when when I look at the books, which I'm kind of comparing it to, a lot of them do come in the 90 to 100k range. So I know young adult is is typically shorter, but actually a lot of the sort of thriller action ones, which is which is what I'm going for, it's quite fast paced. Um, so it it kind of keeps you going through the chapters are fairly short. Um, so I think even though it's a fairly long book, it's it hopefully will be a fairly sort of quick read. I do think that the the first experience that you need to have as an author is to get from A, the first word, you know, to, to Z, the, the last word of the first draft, because you've got to travel that journey, I think, at least one time to just know what it's like and yeah. also to know that you could do it. That's a huge achievement because you spend your life thinking, I'd like to do it, and then but you've done it. And I think that's actually, you know, one of the biggest achievements in every respect, because all you've got to do is just repeat that 20 times and you'll be a millionaire. Oh yeah, it's just as easy as that. Paul. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, but I think I think as you say, I think it's been a really valuable learning experience. So, um, I mean, I did actually like I, I completed a sort of first draft of a book a couple of years ago, um, which has promptly gone to the back of my sort of Scrivener file and, and not to be looked at for a while. But I think that taught me some things coming into this experience, um, and I think this experience has taught me a lot going into the next one, particularly around the need to plot more thoroughly before starting so partly because that the the book i'm working on at the moment so book one started that as an anorimo project 
um, a couple of years ago. So as you do with NaNoWriMo, you have all these good intentions about fully plotting out beforehand and then it gets to November the 1st and you're like, I've got to start my writing. Um, so I had a bit of that, started writing, did some replotting when I picked it up in January this year, um, but not as much as I think I need to. For me, I know some people are more pantsers, some are plotters. Um, but for me to be more efficient in my writing, as in to exclude that waffle from the first draft and, and get it a bit tighter and save myself time, hopefully, um, I think I need to, to do a more detailed plotting process as I go through um, and figure out some of those. You always get those kind of tricky bits which you've got to solve which to be fair I fudged a bit in this first draft <laughs> which my editor picked up on very well and you know I did kind of admit to her when I sent her the manuscript there are a few technical details that need working out um, but actually putting the effort in beforehand to get those technical details worked out so you can properly embed it in the story I think is for me anyway is really important. I think the other reason I was interested to talk to you is you've obviously got into this with your eyes wide open and that you've immersed yourselves in podcasts, you know, in, in education. And even then you mentioned that you're using Scrivener to write. And, you know, it took me a couple of books before I discovered Scrivener struggling <laughs> with word. Um, so did you, did you, you know, did you prepare for this? Did you get match ready, so to speak, before you started writing to uh, do your proper research? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, I think I always, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it's always my dream to be an author, but it was like, oh, no, that's not a realistic career path. You know, you need to go down the, the proper route and, um, and take all your science subjects and go and get a proper job, um, which which was fine. And that's how things were, certainly back then. Um, and I think. And I know you you talk about um, Joanna Penn's podcast on your on your uh, on, comes up on here a lot, but um, I think when I was doing NaNoWriMo the first time around, when I did that kind of draft, which is hidden away in the back drawer, um, I was just doing some research and I came across her blog and then her podcast, um, which kind of opened my eyes to actually there are people making a living out of this, and you don't necessarily have to go down that that traditional route. Um, and I think that offers a kind of slightly different inspiration. I mean, yes, I love writing and I'd, I'd write anyway. Um, but, you know, it's always nice to have that potential cherry dangling in front of you um, at, at the end of the journey. Um, so I think and since then I have, you know, I've, I've listened to her podcast. I listen to yours. I listen to, to other sort of podcast blogs. Um, and there's so much information out there on marketing. There really is. So I think the challenge has been for me, certainly in the past sort of six months, has been not getting too bogged down on that when actually what I need to do right now is write a book, get it edited, get it up to scratch. And then, you know, I can think about getting it out there. But I do hope that some of that kind of immersion and immersing myself in the, maybe the sort of self-publishing culture um, will rub off when I come to, to do that, that marketing side of things but i mean even down to you talking about knowing that you need beta readers for instance i mean i've yeah. I'm, I'm on book, i don't know how many books i've written i still haven't sorted beta readers out and, and i know i ought to i was doing it this time thinking do you know what? i really need to sort beta readers out because they give you what beta readers give you is defense against bad reviews when you're giving stuff away for free and, and my perception is you get poor, poorer reviews when you give stuff away for free because people tend not to value it but um I've just finally, the pennies just finally dropped with this, uh, is that when you've got good reviews up front, you have resilience against that, uh, when you have beta readers. So I think, I think you're very wise. Um, other than begging, you know, have you set anything in motion in terms of building lists or anything like that to get that ball rolling? Um, so I'll, well, I'll come on to, to listen a minute. I think I, I am hopefully, uh, looking to get a sort of, 
email list sign up. I don't think that'll be done in time to really recruit people for book one. What I'm looking at for book one is probably a mixture of, um, there are a couple of Facebook groups where you can recruit beta readers. Um, so I'm already sort of joined up with one of those and have, have done a bit of beta reading for other people to hopefully sort of work out how that works. Um, recruiting a couple of sort of writing friends who read in my genre and potentially a couple of other people or connections I know, not necessarily friends, um, but sort of links through reading groups, um, again, for people who write in that genre. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, if you get friends, they're not always the, the they're not always willing to be the most critical. But I think, you know, I think if I've got a mixture of people, um, it's definitely better than nothing. And I think, as you say, it's for me as well, it's, it's having someone else say, oh, actually, yeah, this is okay, or this is publishable, and it's not just me, you know, me thinking that about my book. I, I need some of that external verification, I guess, before I go ahead and press the publish button. Um, but longer term, I think I'd like to build an email list and then recruit some beta readers from, from that. It's also interesting that you've gone straight for self-publishing, um, yet you've wanted to be a writer for so many years. So does traditional come on your radar at all? Um, do you have any aspirations whatsoever to be traditionally published? Or are you, you know, rock solid indie? Um, I think at the moment, probably rock solid indie. I think I'm too impatient to wade through the traditional publishing cycle. Um, and that whole thing of, of writing a book and then it being two years before you actually see it on the bookshelves. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I say I wouldn't necessarily completely rule it out, but it would depend on the the circumstances. And you know, I think if if you're if you're someone big and you you know you hit it off like Hugh Howie or whatever, um, and you get like a a massive print deal, then you know it would be a bit crazy to turn that down. Um, but I don't see that happening to me really love it if it did but you know let's be realistic here <laughs> yeah because a, a part of it is that um you know I, I this is the joy of self-publishing i think is that you could learn your craft and improve it as you go along and i think you mm -hmm. you recognize that don't you that your your first book probably isn't going to be the best one but so long as it hits a, a, a certain standard that makes it suitable for release to get it out there there's no better feedback than having a book out there and, and getting reviews on it and you'll know better for next time yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that, and, and also I, I like, I enjoy learning generally. Mm. So like learning about marketing is interesting. Learning about building websites is interesting. You know, there's so many different things to learn about, which can make it a bit overwhelming sometimes when you think of, oh, we've got to do all this stuff before I even launch the book. Um, but yeah, and I, I think definitely that, that improvement of, of the writing craft. I think the other thing with traditional publishing, um, and, you know, I've been to kind of a couple of seminars or workshops with traditionally published authors. Um, and I know people who are who are trying to go down that route. And it's actually it's a bit of a lottery. I mean, you can write a perfectly good book, um, a really good book, in fact. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a publishing deal because it might just be the wrong time for that book. And, you know, the traditional publishers can only take on so many books. So I think if I go down the self-publishing route, then my books are sort of standing on their own merit. If I succeed or fail, it's up to me and the quality of my writing. Um, and I think that's quite empowering. And it also gives you quite a good incentive to get better and write good books. <laughs> where, where do you go to learn? You've mentioned a couple of podcasts, but for instance, you know, what are you reading? Where are the Facebook groups where you're getting the best uh, value at the moment? Um, so 
in terms of the sort of marketing and general immersion in, in culture, um, I think the 20 books to 50K Facebook group um, is really helpful. It is easy to get overwhelmed in there because there is so much stuff being posted. Um, but what I'm doing at the moment, particularly with a lot of the marketing stuff, is um, I use OneNote as a, as a sort of basically a collection of ideas and information and a bit of a database so every time I see something which I think oh actually that's useful but I don't need it now so whether it's to do with the process for a book launch so sometimes people post on there the exact formula they follow for the book launch and how it worked for them and their process I basically copy and paste that into one note so I've got it to refer back to when I get to that stage um, I've also just signed up for Mark Dawson's 101 oh, yes. course the yeah. self-publishing course um, which I was in a bit of two minds about because I was like, I'm sure I could, you know, if I spent long enough looking at blogs and researching, I could come up with the same information. And then thought, actually, what's my time worth? Um, and if that provides me with that kind of roadmap and, and talk, takes me through those stages and particularly, you know, some of the stuff which is really basic for, for you. But as I haven't published anything on Amazon before, you know, I don't even know how that works. So that's all of all stuff I need to learn. Um, that's got a Facebook group associated with it, which is, again, really, really helpful. Um, I think what other ones? I think I've joined various other ones which are perhaps more sort of genre-specific, um, but haven't got all that involved in them yet just because it's a case of time and, and how much you can, you know, look at on a day on your phone as, as well as doing everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've actually got that um, self-publishing 101 course. Mark's very good. Um, mm. It feels a little bit expensive when you buy them. I think I bought the Facebook one. But one of the things I love with Mark is that when, you, when he creates other courses, he just bundles them in. So you pay once and you tend to get everything you know, just yeah. thrown in. Um, and I think once I realised that, I was like, oh, actually, this, this is a pretty good deal after all. <laughs> it, it is, but you've got to see the long term because, you know, I've got the Amazon mm -hmm. ads one in there. I'm sure I, I can't remember whether I've got the one I want, but I got all sorts in there. I haven't done it yet. I hasten to add, um, but, it's, but um, I'm, I'm getting to it. It is on the yeah. to do list. But you see, I, I, you know, I use Mark's course to, to get, to get the hang of Facebook ads, for instance. And uh, it's funny what we were saying about bootstrapping because um, it's quite expensive. It was a couple of hundred quid, isn't it? I think it's quite, quite a few hundred pound. Mm. And I, I did it on the basis that, um, that I would learn it. Then I do corporate training and I would teach it. And I only had to do, if I did uh, about two two courses would more than way more than cover it, and I've taught it about five times now, so I'm actually well in profit now from from the information oh, that I idea. gain. So um, because no one knows it, you know, no one no one knows that stuff uh, uh, locally. So um, I can just turn you know turn the tap on. But that, I think you know I'm using it as an example of bootstrapping that you can take the knowledge you've got and you can turn it into something that then you can make money from. Um, so don't view education as just a loss. It's actually something you can turn into profit. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think if if the sort of tips and tricks I pick up from that help me work more efficiently, that saves my time, which means I can, you know, I can get more done. Um, and if it means I have a more successful launch and then getting more money in through my book. So even if you're looking at it from purely a, I'm taking this course to help me sell more books, there's still potential. Actually, a, a return there, um, and some—I mean, some of the information is, um, you know, the the tips and tricks and new tools that come forward change all the time. But a lot of it's kind of evergreen stuff. Um, you know, getting your book out there, making sure you've got a good blurb, what to look for in the cover, all those kind of things. Um, it's stuff you can learn once, but then you know you'll apply 
buy it every time you release a book. So um, there's definitely value to be had there, I think. I saw, was it in um, 20 Books to 50K that you posted your blurb the other day? I saw you posted your blurb. Was that where it was? (laughs) Draft blurb, draft blurb. Draft blurb, okay, okay, yeah. I've been really struggling with blurb and titles, Mm. I have to say. I still haven't sorted a title. Um, But, yeah, I, I was struggling with my blurb for a while and actually I think this is this is one of the lessons I've come forward uh, that I'm taking forward and I think that next time I'm actually going to come up with the title and the blurb before I start writing the book because I think what it really does is, is makes you kind of narrow down to what what is the actual ultimate focus of this book what's the kind of core of it um, and then I think that will help me be a bit smarter and tighter when I'm plotting to make sure I'm hitting all those kind of points. Um, but yeah, I find blurbs hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite quick with titles because I, I like to find a title that gives me a feeling of the, of the mood and the feel of a book. And when I've got the title right, I think, oh yeah, I know I'm in the zone when I, when I get the Yeah, the title I don't right. know what it is. I just, like, I, you know, I've researched titles of other books and the genres. So I, know, I know the kind of thing and the kind of um impact it has to have and what sort of you know title i'm after um but i just look at my book and just draw complete blank and it's not just this one you know i'm thinking about my kind of uh, short story that i'm doing and book two book three and and yeah and just drawing complete blank so i think fortunately i've got a friend who's really good at titles so i'm gonna do a bit of brainstorming with her once i've uh, sort of fully plotted the three books because they're a series as well it needs to kind of link together a bit and um they sort of need to fit together a bit so um yeah, I'm looking for some outside help on that, I think. <laughs> but I can tell you as the writer of three trilogies now that it's it's good to have a the something trilogy, you know, book yes. one, da-da-da-da, uh, because when you start to box set it, which you will, you, you know, you need to – the, the other the, I, I found I've, – I've just found this with the latest trilogy that you can sell books one, two, three individually. It's also handy – if you could box set books two and three because and make them cheaper than selling them individually. I found that quite good with this. I'm, that's a nice little tip that I've just learned. That. I wish I'd learned that before. Uh, and I'm selling quite a lot of Let's those. Go. Yeah. So, so basically, if they read book one and like it, they can get a discount from buying that box set on books two and three together. But also, I box set books one, two and three for people who just know that they like my stuff anyway. Um, but the, the trilogy title, you know, to say, um, you know the, the the box set is the full trilogy is just neat neat marketing because otherwise you're going to end up saying three separate book titles um and it, it, you know it's nice to to have that trilogy label i think so that that would be that would be my tip it's a just nice way to refer to it yeah definitely and i think i think the sort of i'm also looking at doing a, a kind of short story or, or a sort of novella as a bit of a reader magnet which i also want to and in the same series so coming up with that series name well in the next few weeks is probably going to be quite important <laughs> no pressure no no you'll have to do a bit of a corporate blue sky thinking i think won't you with that and just you know jot yeah, all your ideas yeah. down yeah i've started doing that and i'm hoping at some point i'm if i jot down enough ideas and one of them's just going to kind of jump out at me and and we'll go from there but We'll see. <laughs> when I was reading the blurb, you and I are writing, or I, I'm writing crime at the moment because I'm finding it selling well, but um, uh, you're writing to exactly the same point that I was. So my my what I say with my sci-fi books is if you like Maze Runner, if you like Hunger Games, if you like mm. Divergent, you'll love this. And I was really interested <laughs> to see your list. That's exactly how I pitch mine, exactly the same place, which is uh, interesting. Now, um, one of the things that I've never done, and this is really interesting, is I've never sold my books, a young adult, in theory. I've never sold one to a young adult, only adults buy it, because I haven't got a clue how to reach the audience. Um, 
uh, I, I just never had a clue. Don't really, I don't want to be talking in secondary schools and things like that. And, uh, and so adults buy it and, um, and, and get on quite all right with it, even though one of them's about a 16 year old and the other one I knocked him on a bit to 18 years old. Um, and they don't seem to have a problem with it, which is interesting, but I'm sure. Well, I think, mm, I mean, I think the readership for young adult books is actually more people in their twenties and thirties. I mean, but from what I've picked up and from what other authors have said, um, and I, I think maybe, maybe there's two different markets and maybe it depends on what genre you're, you're in, because I think some genres that are perhaps maybe more um, more teen focused. Um, I mean, I'm writing mine definitely at the sort of, sort of 16, 17 upwards, really. So it is older, young adults. Um, I haven't, one thing I haven't looked at, it's on my to-do list, is that how to engage with that kind of readership. Um, I think I've seen a couple of people saying, um, you know, they've used particular social media or I think a lot of, uh, there's a big thing around book covers um, and book cover groups on sort of Instagram with with young people. Um, and if you've got a great cover and can kind of get involved and into that, they'll share their covers with their friends and sort of through that you can get people for your book. But that that's sort of only anecdotally I've, I've heard that. I haven't obviously tried anything like that yet. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a difficult market to crack, perhaps. But um, I think the appeal of young adult does stretch much wider than just those sort of few teenage years. I had a little skirmish with things like Wattpad. And I think I tried yeah. tab, Tableau, Tableo, whatever it's called. And then another one, the name of which escapes me right now. But I, I just felt like an old geezer on a young person's site. You know, it just felt like the, 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 the fit wasn't there. So, um, but, but, I, but I found that the, the you know, that the adults actually buy the things, which is fine. So um, another, another little tip while I remember is um, the Wishing Shelf Awards are a very good award if you're into young adults. So I, I, I won a bronze, I think, for the, the grid this year. Um, but why I like those awards, um, it's run by a chap who calls himself, um, he's Edward Treyer, but he calls himself Billy Bob Buttons or something. That's his stage name. Um, but he's got a wonderful arrangement where he actually gets your book in, to be read by secondary school pupils. And, and it's them who oh, vote wow. on it. So I was quite pleased to get the, you know, the recognition because actually it's- it was the right kind of people reading it. Is that in the UK or the US? No, he's based in the UK. Uh, Edward is. So it's, UK, yeah, okay. So just do a search for the Wishing Shelf Awards. Um, but he's he's got this wonderful arrangement. He's he's an amazing author. If you listen to the podcast, he's I can't remember where he is. Just just um, he's in there somewhere. Uh, Edward Treyer is yeah. his name. But um, he, he's an amazing author that he sells about hundred thousand pounds worth of books every year in schools. Um, so he's got these wonderful connections wow. in schools. So his model is quite interesting if you've got the appetite for that. Uh, he works very hard. But if you look at his Amazon sales, you know, it, there's, it looks like he's not selling anything. But actually he is. He's just going straight to the audience in the schools. Um, it's a very, and has, very has, he got, has he got into libraries as well or just kind of school libraries? Uh, not into libraries. That's the other... No, hmm. not into libraries. I think he sells his books. Um, you know, he'll do a turn, he'll do a presentation, Directly. and then sells them to the kids and the and the adults. And yeah. he just does a really good. But it's you know, it's worth if you want to go into schools and that's your thing. Finds a life out of me as an ex teacher, but um, uh, <laughs> I, I ain't going anywhere near a school again unless it's parents evening. You know, so um, I, I don't want to do that. But um, he's got some great tips in there. But that award, if you kind of want to get the right people saying that they like your book. I was yeah, quite, I was I'll quite definitely pleased by that. that. You know, mm. uh, finally hit the audience. Yeah, um, congratulations for your 
award. Thank you. It was only a bronze. I wanted gold. Next time, Paul. Next time. Well, the first one didn't make it into the lineup, so the secret bunker didn't get in there. And this one. There got, you go. You're improving every time. I'm improving. So that's, that's right. Improving. So uh, they're good little awards, but I'd recommend them to anybody who wants to get. See, one of my problems with awards is a lot of them are beauty contests. It's more about the platform that you've got and, and the the kind of you know look at me, look at me, vote for me, and 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 it, that's not a vote for quality. That's just uh, it's like how many mates you got. It, it's it feels mm-hmm. like that. It's a popularity contest. Um, why I like this is that it's judged by real people. You know that you can see the whites of their eyes, and uh, so it is a nice little contest, and it is for indie authors. So um, it is worth a look. That one, I think. Back to the books. Then, how did you find? the editorial report on your book how how did you receive that did it did it get sort of the little prickly bits going sort of oh, no I don't agree with that or, or how did you receive the feedback um, no I was a bit nervous before opening I'd say I got this email through I was like oh I'm to open this and um, I think it helped because one of the things which I didn't do but I should have done is properly kind of rested and then gone back to the draft before I sent it off the editor and that was partly me kind of running up a deadline and and one of the good things about booking as an editor is that you have a deadline to to hit so that forces you to get stuff done um but I probably didn't leave it as long as um I should have done so when I was started reflecting back on on the novel I also gave it to my partner to read and he started um bringing up different things that he kind of noticed or picked up or, or he felt could be improved so we had a few conversations about that so about I think it was about halfway through the kind of editing process the sort of three-week period I sent it off for um I dropped my editor an email saying by the way I've come up with these things which I think you know need improving with the book do you kind of agree um so actually a lot of the stuff which she raised in the editorial report wasn't a huge surprise there were a couple of things which I thought were an issue which she didn't which was great and there were a couple of things which um which she raised which I hadn't thought of um and there was some, you know it's not all negative I mean it's it's a critical report which is good because that's what I needed um but you know for example two of my favorite scenes which I thought were were two of the best scenes she really loved so um it's always good to get that kind of feedback as well to see where you're on the right track so having written that first book have you penciled in yet a release date for it? Are, are you working to a, a schedule with this or are you just waiting to see when it's ready? Um, I've got a schedule to get it back to the editor for copy editing um, at the beginning of August, um, which I think is quite ambitious, but I like pushing myself on these things. Um, I've got two weeks off in July, which is why it's slightly ambitious. Um, in terms of the launch date, I'd love to get it out in November. November's my target, um, but I want to be able to release the books in the trilogy at fairly regular intervals. So I don't want to release one and then go sort of six months before the next one. So I think it kind of depends on how quickly I can get those two books written because they're not started yet. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be a lot quicker process than than book one because I've got more time to spend on it than I did sort of the first half of this year. I'm going to be better at plotting and, and hopefully my writing speed is starting to pick up. I still feel I'm quite slow on that, but um, hopefully, I'll, you know, more practice that will improve. Um, but it really depends to what stage I've got those two at as to, to when I decide to kind of go for the, the launch date. That's a very long book for a first book. Um, and so how many no. words are you writing when you have a session? How many <laughs> words are you roughly trying to hit? 
Um, so I started off doing trying to get 2,000 words done, and now I'm aiming for 3,000 words. But I'd say I'm, I'm a fairly slow. If I get 1,500 words done an hour, that's really really fast going for me um, which I know is quite slow for a lot of other people so um, sometimes it takes me three three and a half hours to do 2,000 words which is really frustrating <laughs> um, so I think upping that writing speed is definitely going to be um, going to be key to to help me up the production schedule really and uh, are you considering it something like dictation or anything like that at, th- at this stage or are you just going to try and get your your head around actually getting the books out first yeah, I think um, I think dictation might be a long term kind of strategy for me. I do like I go out for walks and do a lot of thinking when I'm walking and I've got a little dictaphone, which I sort of read ideas into more than actual kind of um, actual writing. And um, I think the trouble with dictation at the moment is I don't have time to learn how to do it. Um, and actually, I want to get better at writing and to get that sort of writing process for me, typing it and get that writing process sorted so that's fairly fluid um and then i think maybe longer term i will look at dictation but i know it works for some people doesn't work for other people and it doesn't work until you've tried it so um yeah so i'm trying to get these books done and then maybe look into it at a later date and do you have uh, an arc plotted for your trilogy do you know roughly where you're going in each book or are you, are you pantsing the sort of trilogy element of it <laughs> I started off pants in the trilogy element. I've got I've got a, a very broad arc. I've got some yeah, so I've got I've got where my sort of two main characters start and end up and the kind of the the, the key big premise which each book is kind of based on and, and how that changes. Um what I'm doing now actually before I start the editing on or before I really get into the editing on book one is I'm plotting out book two and three, not in necessarily scene by scene detail, but certainly um, kind of so I come up with the, the sort of broad outline and the beats, the, you know, the main beats for those stories. Because I think what that will then help is if I need to weave anything back into that first book, I've got the opportunity to do that. And that's actually another reason for kind of delaying publishing the first book book until I've got at least probably the second work the second book done and and maybe into the third book because then if I need to go back and weave things into the narrative I've got the flexibility to do that it sounds like a bit of a cheat but (laughs) no I I did the same Um, I wrote mine (laughs) I wrote mine in rapid succession and then did the weave the back weaving bits that I needed to do because um certainly first time around you don't know what you're going to need uh when you write the first one no no, I I did a little bit of yeah, so definitely I'm going to do some more plotting work before jumping back into into book one and getting that finalised. I want to um, look in, into your freelance writing as well, because this is how you're bootstrapping the creativity. This is how the books are good to get written. You know, we all have to pay the bills in the meantime while we aspire to do these things. So um, it, it's a new business for you, effectively a brand new business starting from scratch? Yeah, it is. So, so so effectively, I have jumped ship to start two new businesses pretty much at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I've done, I've never done writing as a sort of job title before. All my job roles have involved writing to some extent, and I've written copy for the webs and done a lot of social media work and stuff in in previous roles. Um, but I've never, you know, I haven't worked in a, a copywriting agency or a marketing agency or anything like that. So um, that's been a bit of a learning curve um, as well. Um, but it's good. I mean, really enjoying it and um, starting to pick up some clients and, and get there with it. 
So how are you finding clients? Because this is this is the whole point of starting a business, isn't it? It's like, well, I've got a great business idea, but I have no customers. Without customers, I ain't paying the bills. And that, you know, but actually, that's a struggle, isn't it? Because you're going to have to find readers who will be your customers when you're a writer. And, and actually, you're, you're having a dry run at it now because you're having to find customers. So if you've been employed and on a salary, that's actually quite a mindset change. You know, it is actually a, 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 a big reason why a lot of people go back to work because it's hard. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And, you know, I'm not I'm not a natural salesperson either, which is something I've had to kind of overcome when, you know, when pitching clients um, and things like that. I think I mean, I think I've probably had a, a bit of luck as I've as I started out. Um, I took a course last year on um, on basically setting up as a freelance writer, which covered a lot of the sort of technical aspects, but also um, you know, setting up your website and and finding clients. And again, I've I've joined some groups around that. I've taken some extra courses around marketing, that kind of thing, to to train and upskill. Um, as part of that course, you know, you had to develop a couple of pitches for for um, work which you found. I think I found one on Upwork, which I applied for, and there was another sort of job board. It might have been Blogging Pro, um, and then you had to send them off to these people. To, see if you got a response and, and I just struck lucky and got a six month contract out of that first email that I sent wow. so definite beginner's luck mm. there um, but that then helped then having something to to then go on to other clients with so I think to start with I certainly found a lot of my clients through job boards um, I've now got you know I've got contacts which I've made through the the groups that I'm part of. So I've now got a bit of work through one of those clients. Um, when I, just before I left my sort of day job, I started pitching um, agencies. So I've got a bit of a bit of work through those. And um, the one thing I haven't done yet is the one thing which was going to be the, the sort of cornerstone of my pitching strategy, which was cold email to companies. Um, but I just haven't had time to do it really because I've been busy dealing with work that I've that I've had come in and um, so I will move on to that one thing which I, I guess I struck lucky with but um, was also useful is so my I have I have a sort of fairly narrow niche I write a lot outside that niche um, because I need to to get the work but um, what I'd love to write about um, for my freelance writing side is about kind of outdoor adventure um, sports activities that kind of stuff um, and I've got a blog on my freelance writing website um, where I sort of post weekly updates and sort of how to guides and various things on that and part of the reason I started that was a I like writing about it but also because I didn't have a portfolio to show potential clients at least if I had my blog that was something in that niche to show them what I could do um, and I think I have had some bits and pieces of work off that and I actually had a company proactively get in touch with me because they'd seen one of my blog posts um, and wanted to point out one of their web pages, which kind of related nicely to it. But through that contact, I then managed to get in touch with the marketing manager at that company, got a trial piece of work, and now I'm doing a couple of other pieces of work from them. Um, without, And they were on my list to pitch at some point, but they got in touch first. So so that's worked out quite well. But I think, obviously, once, once work starts drying up, then I'll need to be more proactive again. I should probably be being more proactive all the time and I know you should be pitching new work all the time but um at the moment I'm dealing with what I've got on my plate and then and then 
once that finishes, I'll move on to something else. And what about the dreaded time management? Because again, when you're on a salary, it's nine, it's nine to five. You know, we just turn up, we do the work, we go, and the money comes in. Now you're balancing jobs, deadlines. You know, you've got books to write and things like that. That's a whole new world, isn't it? Yeah, and a wedding to plan as well. So oh, yeah. that adds another whole that project management into it. That's like a new job. <laughs> um, yeah, that'll be good when that gets that that's out of the way. Um, yeah, I think I think time management's difficult um i never seem to have enough time to do everything i want but i i mean i guess that's life and that that's reality um today i've probably been fitting my so my author work and my fiction writing more around my freelance writing because that's got more kind of set deadlines and it's a bit more responsive and I've had to be a bit more reactive to that, responding when work comes in. Um, I find it a bit easier when I'm in sort of first draft mode. So when I was was finishing the first draft of, of my book, um, I'd always set aside the first sort of three hours of the day. So first thing in the morning, I'd work on that, do that until sort of half 10, 11. And then the rest of the day was dedicated to my freelance work, which I think does work quite well um, in terms of, the risk is or what I find is sometimes if I start off with my freelance writing work I then never quite get onto that fiction stuff or, or the things I want to do around my author business later on in the day because before you know it's five o'clock or six o'clock and um you know and you're being shouted for dinner or you know you need to go and get some fresh air um so, so I think I think time management has been one of my challenges um and I guess I'm just learning about it day by day I have a diary, so I, I basically I write down everything important which is in my diary. I have a at the start of each month I make a list of things I want to get done that month, um, which means I quite get quite motivated towards the end of the month if they're not ticked off um, and, and start. And that also makes sure that I get the the important things done, like you know tax returns and all those unexciting, boring business things because um, setting up a business is all new to me as well. So, yeah, it's all a learning curve. And you've gone sole trader, presumably, just the, the easiest route? Yeah. yeah, yeah, simple and straightforward for now. Yeah, and, and have you, are you going to do your own accounts or are you getting an accountant in? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, so because I was employed for the majority of last year and, and the sort of self-employed income and expenses I've got for the last tax year are, are relatively few so I'm doing it myself this time around <laughs> um, next year who knows it probably depends on whether I can afford to get someone to do it for me if I can then I'm definitely going down that route because you know finance and tax returns is not my idea of a a bag of fun um but yeah we'll see where i am this time next year i've just gone into something called quickbooks self-employed which is my my top tip um it depends which bank you're with as to whether it but it pulls all your transactions in uh for, just direct from the bank and i i'm with santander so it's great with santander i also had an account with clydesdale which was rubbish so it depends really oh, which, which okay bank you're with. but um, i was looking to switch over to them <laughs> to santander so i might need to check no, no, to QuickBooks, because oh, I'm right. currently using Free Agent, but the price has sort of doubled in the last couple of months. So um, looking at cheaper alternatives there. So accounts is one of the problems people have when they, when they go you know, freelance <laughs> or they go self-employed. Um, websites is the other. I know you're, you've got one in progress, haven't you, at the moment? And I hope by the time this interview goes live, we might have one to show everybody. But, yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> how are you finding that? What, how are you finding it? And, and what's your strategy? What are you going for as your, your website um, tool? Um, so I'm using WordPress. So I set up my freelance writer's website on WordPress using a free theme. That was the 
the first time I've ever done a website other than a sort of, you know, a free blog I had on Blogger for for a while. Um, so I've got no kind of technical or coding experience with that. Um, and, and the sort of the theme which I used for that was OK. Um, it didn't have that much many options for customization. I'm sure it does if you know exactly how to code and do all this technical stuff, but but I didn't. So that that's kind of okay for now. Um, and I've also set up a, or I'm setting up a website as part of some work I'm doing for, for a client, which uses the Avada theme, which is one of these sort of drag and drop builders, um, which I thought was going to be really straightforward, <laughs> but actually also has a learning curve to it. So I think whichever route you kind of go down, that there's a learning curve associated with that. Um, I'm still trying to decide what route to go for my my author one. I think if I had lots of money available, then I might go down the sort of building blocks tool and sort of pair that with with maybe a paid theme. Um, but I, I'm struggling to justify that at the moment. So I'm I'm debating whether I can kind of find a, a free theme and then um, just up my WordPress skills a bit, really, to, to work out how to customize that for, for what I want. My trouble is I always want something perfect and all singing and all dancing, which is probably out of my capability yeah. well, to do. Um, I also have looked, a couple of people have sort of recommended um, looking on sites like Upwork or, or even Fiverr um, to, to get web designers. But um, part of me, I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to know how it's built and what's behind it so that if it needs updates, I can do that. If things go wrong, I can kind of fix it or I at least know where the problem is rather than someone handing me a site on a plate that I've got no idea what to do with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, I've done um, – are you involved with the Alliance of Independent Authors? Do, do you know them? Oh, I – Yes, I do. And and it's on my to do list to join. I was waiting for some uh, some of my income to come through this month and then and then I'll be signing up. That's, well, that's good. I, it's just that I've done a webinar on how to build an author site in WordPress. That's all. And it, and, uh, okay. and, and it recommends a theme and shows you how to do it all. So um, it's, and it's in an hour. It's I'll all check done it out. And I, if I rem I'll make a note now and um, and then uh, send you the link. So um, that, that just might help. And that's all. And does that focus on the sort of specific, the, the differences between an author website and, say, a website for, you know, any other company? So one of the things which I want to make sure is, for example, I can get, you know, MailerLite integration if I want to use MailerLite. And, um, you know, you can have the sort of book pages, you can have landing pages and all those kind of more more technical things, which, to be honest, I'm still working out what of what, what those I need to have in the website so I can, you know, I can pick the right tools for the job. Well, I, yeah, I'll tell you what I use. I use two themes. I use something called Optimize Press, which I've used for about six or seven years. Um, it, it's a it's a block builder site, so you could you know put video blocks in, you could put buttons in, um, all mm -hmm. sliders and things like that. Now, probably I'm going to start. I've used that for years and years and years, and I've done big launches on it and all sorts with it. Um, so um, it has a little bit of a learning curve, but not much. But I'm beginning to use more and more something called Thrive Themes um uh, for wordpress yeah i've heard of them they're very mm. good but the reason i like thrive themes is that they are totally geared to marketing so if you go to any one of my websites you'll see that when you leave the site you get lovely little splash uh, image things saying sign up for this and that and um yeah uh, thrives a real marketer's tool uh, but also in terms of making your pages look fab it's just a drag drag and drop you just say oh, i want to put a slider here i want to put you know a video here and just pull, mm. pull in the element and off you go so i, I think thrive is, is a combination of 
uh, ease of use, uh, but also it's really a, a marketer's tool. And I, and why I love it is is because it really helps you to build your email marketing list in a clever way. So for instance, it will cookie you if you've come to a site and, and you've got this little thing that flashes up saying, get my book. You don't want to get that every time and MailChimp won't let you switch that off. Whereas ThriveSea will let you cookie people and say, I don't want them to see it for another 30 days. It will let you do clever marketing. It will also let you um, have different offerings on different pages. It's a, it's just a complete marketer's tool, and it integrates with MailerLite, which Optimized Press currently doesn't. So I'm moving more and more into Thrive themes. Ah, uh, okay. But it's an evil market. And is that, is that one of those where you pay like an annual subscription for it, or is it a one-off cost? Um, I, I buy them all one-off. So I, I've actually got developer's licenses. So I, I, I have about 17 websites um, and I, I just buy a developer's license and, and it's not, it's, I mean, you know, uh, you, you know that you've got to spend money in a business, but it, you know, it's not a lot of money in, yeah. a, uh, in a business, but you, you'd only need, you know, one or two. Um, so it's going to cost you considerably less, but um, I, I, I like it so much to just buy a developer's license because I, you know, I know it's going on all my sites, but I, I, I use, um, they, they, they have Thrive um, Content Builder, which allows you to build your site. And then they have things, they have um, Thrive, Thrive widgets, thri- uh, what is it? Thrive leads. They have different elements that you buy to do different things. And the one I need to do because I'm terrible at this is Thrive testimonials. So it's got a very cool yeah. testimonial gatherer, and then we'll dynamically move the testimonials around your site. So that um, I bought that ages ago. I need to move my button and sort it out. But it, it's just a beautiful marketing tool. That's why I like Thrive. It's all about doing all the things we know we got to do. Um, and you know, I I think if you if you don't if you're not too scared of technology, it's, I don't think it's particularly I don't think it's particularly difficult difficult to use. To be honest with you, oh, I'll definitely have a look into it. So that that would be my top um, that'd be my top WordPress uh, tip. But if brilliant, if, but but if you don't want to use that, if you just want to go uh, cheap and cheerful and simple, then and just want a simple author website the Hemingway theme is uh, just a basic theme and that's what I show in that video I'll put the link on your resources page actually if anybody's listening to this and thinking I need a website the one thing I'm so pleased that you're not doing is getting a Wix site because that drives me spare when <laughs> people get in a Wix site um, and just for people listening to this I'll just tell you why I get it's not me being uh, it's not me sort of looking down my nose at Wix sites there's a there's a, a business reason for it and the problem with a Wix site is if you want to move it you're not going to be able to move it um, you're stuck on Wix. So in two years' time, when you're a mega author, you're either going to have to crash and burn and start again uh, because you're building on Wix's platform. You're not building on your own platform. You don't, you don't own the soil. And actually, when I was doing some research about different website themes, I came across a couple of um, articles by sort of developers which went through, because it's not just Wix, but there's other, you know, there are other themes and and sort of more premium themes where where that's also the case so if you want to i don't know extract the code from this website builder tool and put it to a different theme actually it's just not really compatible to be able to do that um so so that kind of struck a couple off my list um but yeah i mean i guess weebly is a similar one and i actually set up a weebly website just for our like our wedding website because we're you know modern people so i have to have a wedding website um and actually just to practice using it on a different platform really and setting that up and got really frustrated with it straight away. I mean, it's really easy to use, but there isn't that much, you know, on, the, I was doing the free option, but you know, there wasn't that customization. So I guess I want to have all the bells and whistles. It might just take me a while to, 
to learn it and, and get to the stage where I can use them. Well, there's nothing you can't do in WordPress. This is you're never going to find a block on a self-hosted WordPress site. And the other thing about WordPress is that it, it always moves with the times. So if there's something new comes out, I don't know if we've got you know avatars on our websites, uh, 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 you know virtual reality, WordPress will adapt with it. Um, it always it always does just because of the way it's coded and, and built. So you'll never be frustrated with a self-hosted WordPress site, but you may well if you go down the Wix and Weebly route find yourself at a dead end and saying now this has forced me to have to move this thing and it's like you know moving a website moving email is like moving bank it's a pain in the butt it's painful it's horrible you don't want to do it yeah 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 no I think I was definitely thinking long term on that and and having the flexibility because I'm sure whatever theme I go for and however I you know set it out at some point in the future hopefully I'll, I'll improve that and at some point hopefully I'll have money to pay someone to create a super duper site for me um and to make that as flexible as possible to be able to do that so congratulations to you you've written the first book most people you know <laughs> never, never even get past that stage you're into editing now what does the rest of your year look like and there's a wedding to slot in there too isn't there before before the end of yeah, the year yeah yeah in about six weeks which is a, a little scary um yes so i think i think sort of the next kind of so the next sort of six weeks is really getting my plotting sorted for the for the trilogy, um, trying to write my kind of reader reader magnet for want of a better word, but a kind of short story novella to to hopefully lead into that series, um, which I can use to get people to to sign up for my email list so I can start building that building that author platform. So website mainly and and email list. I might might do something on Facebook, but um, getting the website up up's my first priority um, and then really writing writing the next couple of books and and getting on with those so um quite a lot to do balancing with the the freelance writing and i've sort of got my own goals on that side of things as well um to, to try and fit in but i just do what i can keep plowing on keep setting tasks objectives and and trying to deliver them I'm hoping, as I, I'm, I'm going to do with John Cronshaw, that we can follow your careers through as we go through the launch and just, you know, get a feel for this because there are so many people trying to do exactly what you're doing. And I think it's really useful to hear about, you know, all the bits about tax returns, all these things that you've got to do <laughs> um, that feel overwhelming, don't they, when, when you start? But we've all got to do them. We're all travelling that same path. We're just on different, you know, point, points of it, I think. But at this stage in your career, first book written uh, and half-edited, if I asked you for a moment just to dream about where you'd like this to take you, where where will it be? Oh gosh. Well, I'd love I'd love to be earning a proper full time living from it. Uh, my fiance is dreaming of the day he can retire, but I think he's being a bit premature with that. <laughs> um, but I think I think one of the one one of the other reasons, I guess, why I wanted to go down this kind of freelance route and working for myself is the flexibility to work from wherever I want um, and to be kind of location independent. So you know, hopefully, I don't know. Maybe Maybe one day I'll have my books up on Amazon. People will be buying them and I'll be making enough to be doing that pretty much full time. Um, and, you know, maybe buying a second house somewhere up in Scotland in the mountains as my writer's retreat. <laughs> but I think that might be a long way off. <laughs> we'll see. We've got a dream, right? Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.